0: Is Pamela Kuhn and the curtain is up on center stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. You know, there are angels on this earth. They surround us each day and with wings that spread wide, they can envelop those around them with a benevolence and warmth that is at once healing and filled with grace. I hope I have your attention, because my guest today is one of those angels. She is part of the movement of generosity that has risen above the sadness and fear associated with the coronavirus epic. I heard about this angel, Miss Valeria Sholokova, through six degrees of separation. Her story filtered down to me about the talented professional cellist who would unfailingly set up her cello on East 95th Street in Manhattan each evening. After the cheering for the essential care workers at 7 p.m., she would start to play. The pandemic did not deter her. It was a catalyst that sent her to the deserted streets. The residents in the area started to look forward to her playing, the, the each evening's music-making, and they would come to hit their windows or balconies, and they would wait. For Valeria, it was a mixed bag of repertoire. She played what she felt would communicate her soul to the people around her. And her audience responded in kind. To this day, they look forward to her visits and cherish her musical offerings. One resident eventually reached out to her, desiring to know more about the cellist behind the music. It was then that she shared some of her most intimate thoughts and her touching motivation for sharing her talents with the community. And I hope she will share those stories with us today. So I take great pleasure in introducing my guest, cellist Valeria Sholokova, to Center Stage. Welcome, Valeria. Thank you for being Thank on you. the show. Valeria, Thanks for having me. Right now, you are probably the most revered person on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. I, I have to say <laughs> this. And, and you are a highly trained artist. I mean, you have the Juilliard and Manhattan School of Music pedigrees. You've performed at Carnegie Hall. You've even performed on Saturday Night Live. I love it. Um, right. I just have to know what was behind your motivation for taking your cello out on the street on East 94th.
1: And yeah, so I, I had spent the first uh, couple of weeks of COVID kind of hermiting my way in the room. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I was very disciplined with myself. I was still practicing. I was in touch with my friends, um, but I was reflecting a lot about the nature of what we do and why we do it. And that's a really central question that has never left me, but I had finally some more time to to really ponder it. And uh, I was—I realized, I, I you know there were so many of these cheers at 7 p.m. that I had heard outside. I was usually practicing at that time. So sometimes I'd be recording myself and there would be cheers outside. And that was really fun <laughs> because... <laughs> I would like I would name that file and the crowd goes wild and I will be playing like Penderecki you know like <laughs> things that those are fun clips to have
0: I love um, that I love that <laughs> self motivation <laughs>
1: kind of, Yeah but you know we haven't been able to connect with our audiences the same way obviously as we we had the uh, the luxury of doing before So one day I happened to be outside at 7 p.m. and I realized that there were people outside on their porches looking out their windows and I had no idea who they were. I spent, uh, the, I've lived in this block for three years now and, uh, I've, um, I spent most of that time being out of the house and I would come home after a show, you know, that would be like after midnight, most show, our show would finish after 11 mm-hmm. and I was in the Yiddish Fiddler on the roof. So I'd be home pretty late. Um, we're just out and about, as many of us are. And I realized that I knew nobody on this block, and I would have... I'm always looking for a sense of community in my life. Beautiful. So I thought, how nice would it be to get to know these people? And, um, But I, I don't think that was actually the primary goal. It's just that one day I realized that everybody was there. I don't want to call them a captive audience, but <laughs> there was just a little bit of that as well. But I just thought, you know, wouldn't it be nice to do like a daily meditation of the role of music in people's lives and how it can change us a community. Exactly. Wouldn't it be nice for me to come outside and play a tune, maybe two minutes? It doesn't have to be long or, as some people had warned me, annoying. <laughs> they said, don't do it because you don't want to annoy anybody. You don't want to intrude on their lives. So, I just thought, you know, I would love to prove those people wrong or those voices wrong. I want to see that music does matter to people, especially at this time. And uh, that's how I decided to go out there. Just it it, it really is a journey. No days alike. So I'm able to take away different things on a consistent basis and come away with new thoughts on uh, the way the music plays in my life and uh, music's place in, in the lives of others, of those yeah. around me, and how that can really uh, bring people together, even as everybody's on their own porch. I yeah. love it. So I might <laughs>
0: understand you literally came out every night, and you still are.
1: Yep. Yeah, I'm still doing it. And, you know, it, I do get a little bit, I don't want to say burnt out, but some days I feel like there's not very much for me to give. And uh, I'll, I'll come out, and I'll play anyway, and I realize that I always do have something to give. Like no matter how how difficult my day has been, I always come away feeling better after having played.
0: Of course, you do. You yeah, the and soul of a great musician, and you are giving, <laughs> you're giving it like a gift to your community. You are building community. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, you? and that's and. And that's a part of it, you know, it's also, it's like, in a way it's a luxury and, you know, maybe, maybe some people would disagree, but I do play for a living and that's the only type of um, job I've ever had aside mm-hmm. from like computer, mo- like computer monitor at Juilliard. So I I've literally all, have only made a living from music. And sometimes you start asking yourself, well, why am I playing music? Like, would I be playing music if it wasn't my livelihood? Mm -hmm. And right now, luckily for all of us, (laughs) it's not really our livelihood. I was not teaching very much this year. I'm teaching a little bit online, but I'm making like a tiny fraction of what I used to make. And it's actually very liberating because I can look at my life and say, well, am I still doing it when I'm not getting paid for it? And why am I doing it? And um, that's been, it's been a process.
0: I'm learning a lot. (laughs) So you are reflecting and actually asking yourself, you know, is this is the music that I love? You know, is the process of playing what I love, even without being rewarded in a financial way? And I think yeah. we found the answer to that.
1: Right. Yeah, and I think part of the problem is that I expected it to not not um, playing a nightly concert was something I expected to not necessarily continue because I wasn't sure if people would still come out for it. Like I didn't want them to feel obligated to come out and listen to me. Um, I'm a little bit surprised at how my block is still responding. I mean, just yesterday I played a couple Sinatra songs and everything was still and people were just so moved by it. Of course they Yeah, but that's kind of the problem. I think Uh, a lot of us musicians don't realize the value of what we do. Exactly. In these times,
0: yeah. when we're forced to be online only, and we're not having our live music experiences. You know, we forget how much that gives to everyone. And I can tell you right now how much you are giving to the neighbors, because I have a quote from one of your neighbors. I have to read something. This may surprise you, but it's straight from the heart. Okay. So yes. this is one of your admirers who lives on 95th Street. This, this is... Kerry Dunn, he's an attorney who has lived on the block since 1993. He spent the entire month of April alone in his brownstone preparing for a Supreme Court argument. An argument in the Supreme Court. No. He actually delivered that argument from his dining room. And he says this of you, and I quote Kerry Dunn, My only break every day was at 7 p.m., when everyone came out to bang on pots and cheer the essential workers. Then one night, there was Valeria standing alone with her cello. She quietly asked if we would mind if she played us all a sonata. We We cheered again, and then she played. She was incredible. People wept. Now she's a neighborhood institution. That is from Carrie Dunn, the attorney who was a, a few weeks ago delivering a Supreme okay. Court argument, my dear. Wow. That is how the area feels about you, Valeria.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't think this person ever come up to me to share that. I don't think I've ever met anybody with that, with that name. And well, it just kind of goes to show that there's always at least one person who really, really needed to hear what you had to play
0: That's correct. And I think there are many. I think there are many, my dear. And I think that's what that connection is, is what is keeping you coming back and and doing this. You're giving the area residents so much. My gosh. Right. And I feel that there is a richness about you, uh, a beautiful, genuine uh, giving quality that is so precious right now. I mean, uh, this is a beautiful thing, Valeria Mm Sholokhova, a beautiful thing. Now, tell me. Is there more of a backstory about where you live um, and you're you are kind of an inspiration for getting you out on the street more than just COVID? Didn't you re- recently suffer the loss of a person
1: quite close to you? Yes, yes, I did, I did, I did. Um, this was uh, this was my landlady, who had um, I mean I was paying her rent, <laughs> but I, I was I would quote unquote think that she would she kind of adopted me because uh, she wanted me to live with her and she wanted to i don't know I guess have me around mm. and uh, she asked me to be her tenant exactly well three years ago it's going to be three years ago that I moved in and uh, she had she did pass um, kind of on her own terms um, mm-hmm. at the beginning of March so i had I had just actually I was coming back from Portugal on the 9th of March and uh, I didn't get to see her because she was already in bed by the time I'd gotten home. And uh, in the next afternoon, we found her uh, passed away in her bedroom. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's another, that, I mean, a loss like this will definitely make you think. <laughs> and, uh, and also like, I wasn't sure if I would be able to have a roof over my head, you know, and things were closing down and, Luckily, her daughter was very generous, and she told me that I can stay here for the time being while they unpack the house and uh, get it ready for sale. So that's very, very, very lucky. And uh, I wouldn't have been able to, you know, I could have just left the block if it weren't for her. I I would have just had to leave the block, and I would have never met any of the people on here. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just love having neighbors, (laughs) you know, this was something much more common in Ukraine. Everybody knew maybe a little too much about each other, Mm -hmm. but uh, here in the States, we would move um, from location to location. This is much more normal here over there where I come from, you kind of stay in the same place. A lot of people are born and die in the same house. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm simplifying it a little bit because not everybody can afford that luxury. Like not everybody, especially like uh, people of Jewish descent, didn't have that, that luxury mm-hmm. of staying in one place, and that's that's one half of my family. And when did you come to the United States, Valeria? I I just celebrated my 19 year anniversary on June Fantastic. 1st.
0: Fantastic! Yeah.
1: Yeah, and uh, that was the summer of 9/11, before 9/11. So 9/11 happened on the first couple of days of my school of my of my school year. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow, and that yeah. was when you were at Juilliard. No, I was I was I was a kid. I was a, I was 11 years old. I was in 6th grade. Wow. What a bad yeah. by fire,
0: arriving here and experiencing 9/11?
1: It and was that, it was a lot to to
0: process for sure. I can imagine. And now you're processing something else. I mean, with COVID and and the, the seriousness of musicians' voices being uh, silenced, but not yours, which is a brilliant thing. And then yeah. the riots. And and I I realize you've embraced this country as your home. Um, yeah. Facing all of this now, uh, has it deterred your feelings about the United States, or do you still have the same enthusiasm?
1: Huh. That's a good question. Uh, oh boy. It's a load. I, I I'm not I'm I'm not even sure if that's the right question to ask. I think I mean the states I I didn't grow up in a place that had looting, but that's because I think perhaps the police uh like whatever we talk about police reform here is just so much farther behind in other places, really? you know and, I, and, and, I, and I'm on board, you know, with Black lives Matter. Mm-hmm. and um, yeah it's I, <laughs> I'm actually not sure where I'm going I think if anything if anything that I can say right now is you know reflecting on my immigration anniversary and the mm-hmm. fact that we've been we've had the opportunity to turn our lives around here the way we would have never been able to do back in Ukraine. It's almost. It, it's a little unreal that people who are born here are not do not have access to this kind of American dream the way even people like myself do, you know, and no matter how difficult it is for us to build it and how much work and my family is very hard working. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody's ever called me lazy. <laughs> Or, my, or anybody in my family. But no matter how hard that was, I feel like we, we, were still, we still had a greater access to it than some people of color. And that's, that's just so heartbreaking to me because I know how hard it is, this is, this to, is to, to get from point A to point B. <laughs> ¶¶
0: Building community on East Ninety Fifth. Yeah, will you be playing there tonight? I will be. And what do you think your repertoire will be tonight, Valeria?
1: Um, well, it's funny because um, a couple from a, f- a few a few doors down asked me to play some songs for their anniversary. Oh. And they asked me for something from the South Pacific, and they wanted a selection from there. But I'm thinking about how I can tie that in with um, with like all the incredible love songs that that became famous through like uh, some African American artists like Nina Simone and I'm thinking tonight I might play one of her songs or like an Aretha Franklin hmm. song as well you know just like something that is so soulful and things that gave me so much meaning to music <laughs> like in general just listening to these songs it's just like it's mind-blowing this music's mind-blowing and it just makes you feel so deeply that you're like of course music is powerful yes indeed. so it's it's also like edifying edifying in that way that
0: is fantastic yeah. <laughs> I love that you're taking requests i think that's just like, yeah
1: i'm i i asked for requests actually when when they first reached out they asked me for my name and <laughs> that was kind of funny because i'd forgotten to introduce myself to these people (laughs) like a week later they're like what's your name do you live here
0: (laughs) it's kind of funny you see that Um, shows me how selfless you are about this and that your heart is in absolutely the right place you know for offering your talent on the street
1: right but if I had done it for selfish reasons I don't think I would have even gone out there Mm. you know it, it would have felt so wrong
0: but, you know, during the time, the sheltering in, during the time, of this stressful time for all of us, the fact that you have shared of yourself with everyone and given everyone,
1: uh, how long do you play? 30 minutes, an hour? No, I don't. That, that, that would be a lot of <laughs> preparation and I would have no life, <laughs> which I'm still holding on to. They no, would I play- love it. They would love it. I did... I did have a couple of friends come over once and we played like a longer set and that was maybe 15 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes, but I play about two or three songs per night. So that can be from five to 10 minutes. It's it's enough for me to prepare at home because and to pick out the songs every day, it takes work. It takes time for me to like be thoughtful about what am I going to play on a given day Mm -hmm. and uh, how to combine because usually I would only have to think of one song. Now they're expecting two or three. Mm -hmm. So how do I tie a few pieces together in a meaningful story? And, you know, a lot of this music is not written for the cello. Sometimes I'll just play a tune. Mm -hmm. So it's not like written for solo cello. So I have to find the music. I have to see if I can kind of memorize it because I don't like to bring out my, (laughs) my printer's gone. So I can't even print stuff out anymore. So it's just, it's a process. Like I do have to definitely sit down for some time to prepare these things. So, yeah, I think half an hour would have been a a bit excessive for me Uh, (laughs) right now. I can
0: understand the amount of work that is going into this. Yeah. Gloria, just let me ask you this. If if in 10 years' time you look back Mm -hmm. at this moment, yeah, let's say we're normal, whatever that normal may be for us, and hopefully we as musicians (laughs) will be back working and, and we'll have music live again. But if you're really reflecting back at this time, what do you think that playing on the street on East 95th has given you?
1: I think it it would have um, it would have given me the sense that music is very very necessary and people appreciate it much more than we musicians realize. You know, we're not essential in any way at least in this society. Like we're not treated as such, and uh, you know, if there are any budget cuts, art the arts are the first thing to go. So you, you kind of get the sense that uh, you're just not that you're a kind of a frivolous like add-on to life, <laughs> and and I'm and I'm you know being a little black and white here, but yeah, it, just looking back, I will remember the faces that looked back at me hmm yeah and the their appreciation and every time I'm surprised by how long they clap that will be something I take away mm-hmm. and maybe if ever I feel nervous before performance or not sure of what I'm doing or why I'm doing it I can just look back on these faces and pretend I'm playing for them that's so funny. that's amazing I mean that's like a gift for a lifetime they've been nothing but an amazing audience
0: no, one, yeah. I think you're an amazing individual to give to them and it's only reciprocated. I do. What you and I spoke a few days ago and you said something really interesting to me. You mm-hmm. said that every person in this world that you they can have a meaningful life that it is available to them.
1: Right. Yeah, that's another th- I I've been thinking about that's kind of in the loop for you <laughs> of um Thinking about classical music and its place in society at large.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, uh, I don't know how much I should talk about my experiences at Juilliard, <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> we we know that Juilliard can be a little bit
0: frightening. Yeah, but go on, yeah, go on, please um, share with us.
1: And and the and the classical music world on the whole there it's it's so it's relatively small it's a little niche but there's a there's a sense that there are like a couple people who can really be successful and others who are kind of floating <laughs> below that okay. you know and um i guess speaking of privilege and where you come from like a quick path to success is not an accident like 99% of the time it's 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 having the resources it's having the, the right type of guidance it's um just you know not having to deal with as many personal challenges necessarily mm-hmm. so and you know i I may be you know totally be ignorant of this, but I don't think I'm totally wrong about it either so i didn't i just was not ready for Juilliard. I had so many things to figure out mm-hmm. and so many things to. Line up in my own life uh, that through like a number of <laughs> and, like external unfortunate events, I I really wasn't I, I'm not gonna say I really wasn't thriving, but especially in any like um, Ivy League type of setting, mm-hmm. it's only only a few people truly can benefit. You know, and the rest of us, no matter how good you are in a setting like Juilliard, you will feel like you're a failure. Mm -hmm. And now I'm looking chosen. Um, Yeah, right, right. And now I'm listening back to my recordings and realizing I don't think it had that much to do with my playing. Because the slow-mo, for example, that I sent you, I think is a beautiful recording. And I recorded it eight years ago. And I'm like, what was I thinking that I don't matter? You know, but that's, that's, that's kind of the feeling that I took away from my time at Juilliard. I mean, and you know you're not,
0: you're not alone there, Valeria. I've talked to <laughs> a few musicians who felt yeah. quite isolated at Juilliard or felt the extreme competition to be too much.
1: Right, and it's not just you know. I wouldn't. I'm not very competitive mm-hmm. by nature. I so I don't think I was even part of that competition in my head. That I couldn't even concern myself with being at the top. Mm-hmm. It was more like how people treated you, and when you felt invisible and were you felt like people could afford to do whatever they wanted and it would have been fine. It's just this feeling that people can afford to treat you poorly and it's fine.
0: But, but the shame of all of this is the, the wound it leaves upon you as a musician. Did you think for one moment with your wonderful talent that it it might be dumbed down just by an attitude, you know,
1: or that feeling is, is almost a crime. Right. I mean, you can look at it that way, but, you know, I, I, also, I also think that just not striving for success and not necessarily being competitive is kind of ties back into uh, the what we had talked about a little earlier, what you had mentioned a little earlier, about le- leading a life of meaning. And, you know, it's so easy to get caught up in, like, am I playing, am I, like, in this group of whoever and uh, – it's been so nice for me to just step away from that during this period and say, you know, what would be really amazing <laughs> if I did things that were meaningful to me. Absolutely. And once you do that, all of that doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter how people think or treat you because I don't know. It just, it just doesn't, it, it just, it just, it's such a, it's been such a lift from me. Um, so just say, well, I'm going to live the life that I find meaningful, and that's about it.
0: Valeria Sholokova, a gentle diplomat of music, sharing her music and her soul for the sake of community. I hope you will go to Center Stage with com for more information on my show and my blog. And in the meantime, this is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is now down on Center Stage.